You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. That's a very well done, a great message in that song. Appreciate the good music this morning. I like going to a church that acts like the congregational singing matters, and because it does, amen? And a good singing by the congregation today, and of course the special was a, a real blessing, and it's a blessing to be here. We've been looking forward to being here. I've already enjoyed myself in Sunday school today, and looking forward to what God has for us throughout the day. If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Luke chapter 16. And verse 19, while you're turning there, I want to ask my wife to stand. She's been mentioned in Sunday school. This is Wanda, and uh, she's with me in everything that we do. And it's been that way for over 47 years now. And, uh, and uh, we, uh, uh, I pastored Whittier Lane Baptist Church until March 10th of 2019. And uh, we left and went on the road. And we've been pretty much on the road since that time. We go home a little bit of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas each year and preaching uh, churches around Indiana and, and so forth. But God has blessed us with a good ministry and, and being able to be with uh, churches and see God working. And we're loving it. We thank God for it. And so we ask you, if you found your place there, if you're able to do so, if you'd stand as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word, I want to read verses 19 through 31. And uh, then I'll have prayer. And then if you'd be seated after we pray, then we'll get into the message, see how God would work in our hearts today. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 19, says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented. In this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, Father, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, again today, we thank you for your precious word, and we pray your blessings would be upon the reading of thy word, and we pray, Lord, for your direction and help for the preaching of thy word this day. I pray that you'd be with me as thy servant and give me clarity of thought and strength of voice, 
and liberty and the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to bring a message that you'll use to minister to hearts according to your will and purpose. Lord, uh, I pray today that uh, you would direct in these things. I acknowledge my complete dependence upon you to do anything that matters, and I pray that you will direct in the preaching of thy word this day. I pray, Lord, that you'd not only be pleased by the preaching of thy word, though I pray especially that you'd be pleased by the response of people to thy word and thy spirit as you work through your word today. And we will thank you and praise you for what you do, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and please be seated. I will confess to you today that the topic of today's message is not my favorite topic to talk about. I'm not apologizing for preaching it, uh, but it's not my favorite topic. It's the topic is hell and eternal torment. And yet when I think about hell and the awful place that it is, it reminds me in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, the Bible says we glory in the cross. And the reason we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ is because it's the means of our not going to that awful place called hell. And we thank God for the cross, of course. I believe today that our text is one of the most eye-opening and informative passages in the Bible. It refutes several false doctrines concerning hell and life after death. Just a few of those false doctrines, there are those who believe that there is no hell. But in verse 23, the Bible says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And there are those who would say that there is no hereafter. When you die, you die like a dog, and it's just over. But the uh, rich man and Lazarus were both conscious, and they still are today. There are those who would say that hell is the grave. And yet the rich man in verse 24 said, have mercy on me for I am tormented in this flame. Bible speaks there of his great thirst. You know, I, I know what it's like to be thirsty. I know what it's like to work out in the heat and the humidity and, and work up a sweat. And I know about those things and I've done those things. But I'm telling you, I have never been so thirsty in my life that I would have given you anything for a couple drops of water. And yet this man was so thirsty that he was begging that Lazarus would just dip his finger in water and touch his tongue and cool his tongue. That's a thirst like I've not known. And yet that is the thirst of hell. It's not only informative, it's also eye-opening. Fact of the matter is there is a literal hell. It is not a myth, it's not a fairy tale, it's not a parable. There's nothing about this story that is in parabolic form. It's a real story about a real place filled with real people like you and me and our neighbors and our friends and our families and our co-workers and anybody else you might meet anywhere. That's the kind of people. In our message today, what I'd like to do is discuss the four people that I see in this passage. I see in this passage the rich man and Lazarus and Abraham and you. The title of the message today is The Rich Man and Lazarus and You. I want to just take a look at each of these here in the course of the message today and trust that these things will come home to your hearts and minds. The rich man we see 
uh, the Bible makes it clear that he had this world's goods in verse 19. He was a rich man. Talks about the clothing that he wore. He wore the finest clothes of the day. The Bible says he was clothed in purple and fine linen. And my understanding is that's the best you could buy in that day as far as attire for a man. And that's how he was clothed. The Bible says he fared sumptuously. That's not a word we use all the time, sumptuously, but I think we understand what it means. He lived in absolute luxury. Whatever he wanted, he had. No doubt he lived in perhaps the finest or one of the finest homes in his area. He had to, he, he furnished it with the finest of furnishings and, and no doubt he was served the finest of foods day after day after day there. He had servants and he enjoyed every pleasure. And the Bible says he fared sumptuously every day. You know, one and I've had the pleasure over the years in our life, there are times that we fare sumptuously. Not every day, but you know, uh, I can remember going on vacations and we still take a vacation uh, each year. And and you know, when I'm on vacation, we spend money on things we wouldn't normally spend money on. And one of the highlights of vacation for me is eating real good. (laughs) I, I, I get an amen there from folks. I understand that today. We do that on vacation. We certainly do it during the holiday season, don't we? Thanksgiving to Christmas time and even into the New Year's. And, or even if it's just a night out, a special night out. We know what it's like to fare sumptuously, but he did this every day. I think it's safe to say that he never came home to leftovers for supper. <laughs> it was all prepared and new. By the way, he missed out on that because some leftovers are really good, aren't they? <laughs> The Bible tells us he died and went to hell because he was unsaved. He had it all, as the world would say, but he died without Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you today, if you live your life without Jesus Christ, you're going to die without him too. You know, he reminds me of Naaman the leper in uh, 2 Kings there and and, uh, chapter 5, I believe it is, and verse 1. Naaman who was, uh, let me just read this one verse about Naaman. We call him Naaman the leper. It says, now Naaman, uh, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. But he was a leper. You know, when I think about that, Naaman, you could brag about his position. He was captain of the Syrian army. And when it said captain, and I'm not belittling the rank of captain, that's a good rank in in the military, I know that. But he was not just a captain. He was like the head general uh, of the army armies of Syria when it says he was captain of that army there and, and, and so he's a man of great position. He was a man of prestige. He was called a great man with his master. He was a man of character and integrity. He was an honorable man. It takes character and integrity to be an honorable person. Amen. And he was an honorable man and no doubt he was a courageous man. The Bible says he was a mighty man of valor. Speaking of his courage and his uh, battlefield savvy, if you would say it that way. He was, a, he was a great man, but with all you could say about him, you have to end it with, but he was a leper. 
I'm not going to discuss a lot about the disease of leprosy other than to say it's a horrible disease. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's one that uh, left to its end, it's, it's, it's a fatal disease. It's an incurable disease uh, by, by man. It's a horrible disease. It made you an outcast because it was a highly contagious disease. And so when a person was a leper, no matter what you might say about their position or, or their honor, whatever else you might say about them, when they were diagnosed with leprosy, they were separated from other people. Spend the rest of their days with lepers because leprosy made them an outcast. You know, when I think about him, it reminds me that you can say a lot of good things about many unsaved men. You know, I've known some unsaved men that you just have to say they were, they were or they are good men. You know, uh, you can say that uh, he's a good husband. Talking about the fact that he's conscientious and he loves his wife, a good father, a good provider for his family. I've known unsaved men that were very moral and had great uh, moral convictions, if I can say it that way. I've known unsaved men that are kind and generous. I know unsaved men that make good neighbors. Say a lot of good things about them, but without salvation, they're still lost. I was doing some visiting in our town uh, several years ago, and I'd come to a door, and I was passing out some uh, Bible uh, tracts and inviting people to church, talking to people about the Lord and about their soul. And I, I uh, came to a door and a man came to the door. He's very friendly, very talkative and so forth. And, and I invited him to our church and told him I was a pastor. And, and I asked him if, if he knew for sure if he died today that he would go to heaven. And he answered that question by telling me how good of a man he is. And he said, you know, we, uh, uh, he said, I think I would. And, and he said, uh, you know, we live in this neighborhood here and there's all kinds of kids here and most of them, their parents work. And a lot of these, several of these kids, when they get off of, uh, out of school, uh, their parents are not home. They'll come to our house and hang out. And a lot of times we'll feed them and, and uh, we just love the kids around here. And summertime, we see a lot more of them than we do during the school year because uh, of their uh, parents being away and so forth. And he talked about how he loved the children. He was a good man and so forth. And, and, and then he said, you know, my neighbor, a couple uh, uh, lots over from us, uh, he put up a fence here a while back and I was over there and I helped him put up his fence. And if you've ever done that, that's work, digging those post holes and, and uh, putting those uh, fences up. And, and he talked about several th good things that he did in his neighborhood for his neighbors and so forth. And I said, you know, what you're telling me is you're a good neighbor and I'd like to have a neighbor like you, but you need to know that will not take you to heaven. No matter how many good things you can say about a person, a generosity and all those kind of things, without Jesus Christ, they're still lost, just like Naaman was a leper, no matter what else you could say about him. We see here the rich man wanted his brothers to be warned in verses 27 and 28. He said, send Lazarus so that he can warn my brothers. He didn't want them in hell. But contrary to what some people think, hell is not a place of fellowship. Hell is not a place of anything but suffering. It's a place of eternal torment. Perhaps he was responsible for their hellbound condition, or at least partially so. Maybe he knew he had been a bad influence on his brothers. It's very likely that he might have been the oldest. 
Maybe he was the most successful as far as the things of the world are concerned and probably looked up to by his brothers. And he sure didn't want to see those in hell that he had led to destruction or at least had a part in getting them there. He wanted them to be warned. That would only add to his torment to see his brothers there. I won't spend much time on this, but Christian, will you think about this? Another really bad thing is to be saved and influence people for hell instead of heaven. Yes, sir. So what are you talking about, preacher? Well, by our hypocrisy, our dishonesty, by worldly, ungodly living, by failing to warn them that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell and they need to receive Christ as Savior. What a bad thing. So we see here, the rich man was rich, but he was lost. And then we see Lazarus, and it talks about him in verses 20 and 21. The Bible said he was laid at his gate, that is the rich man's gate. He must have been a cripple or an invalid. He certainly lacked health. And by the way, we ought to thank God for the health that we do have. And uh, many of us could say, well, I can't do what I used to do, but I'm thankful I can do what I can do. Amen. Don't have to look around very far to see people that's got it worse than we do. He begged for crumbs, it says. He wasn't begging for silver or gold. He lacked food. He just needed something to eat. The Bible says the dogs licked his sores. He was, the Bible says he was full of sores. He didn't have any medicine, apparently, and no bandages. He lacked comfort. You think about it, he lacked health, he lacked food, and he lacked comfort in this life. But the Bible says in verse 22, he died and went to heaven. <laughs> Carried into Abraham's bosom, it says in verse 22. And by the way, he didn't go to heaven because he was poor. He didn't go to heaven because it was bad in this life. You know, like if you're rich, you don't deserve it or whatever. He went to heaven because he received Christ as Savior. He had what the world would say, he had nothing, but he had the Lord Jesus Christ. If you live with him, you'll die with him in his presence and his comfort. He'll be with you all the way. What a contrast between the death of a sinner and the death of a saint. When I say saint, that's the Bible word for a Christian. We generally think of it as a godly Christian, and that's okay, but a saint is a child of God. What a difference between death. In Psalms 116 and verse 15, the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's his children. That's saved people. Say, why is that precious in God's sight? Does he like to see people die? He's not, God is not as excited about death as the fact that death takes people to heaven if they're saved. Death is the door to eternity. And for a Christian, it's the door to heaven. And it's the welcome home. And it's when we will see as we are seen and we'll know as we are known. And it'll be forever. It's homecoming day for a child of God. But Ezekiel 3.11 says, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Please don't get hung up on that word wicked. You know, we think of wicked, we think of 
something as somebody that's wicked compared to us. But the wicked is speaking simply of sinners. That's right. Yeah. It's speaking of lost sinners. People who failed to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And God says, I have no pleasure in their death. Because as death is the door to heaven for a Christian, death is the door to hell for the unsaved. God's not glad to see anybody go to that awful place called hell. And yet, that's the way it is because God is of pure eyes and behold evil. And sinners are not allowed into heaven unless they've been saved by the blood of Christ. So we see here he was saved, he was comforted. Physically, when he got to heaven or he got to Abraham's bosom, there were no more sores and he was no longer an invalid. And financially or materially he was comforted. He will walk on streets of gold and through gates of pearl throughout eternity. He'll have crowns and rewards as well. He was also comforted socially. I like that part. Do you know Lazarus fit right in in heaven? The Bible says he was carried into Abraham's bosom. And I don't know if I'm seeing this exactly right, but what I think about, and, and maybe this is just figurative in the way I'm saying it, but I, when I think about it, he got to heaven and uh, he's, uh, Abraham's sitting here and Lazarus is sitting here in his bosom. I think about him having his arm around him. Say, so sure, good to see you. Glad you're here. Probably the first time in his life that he fit in socially. But this time he fit in socially with the who's who of heaven, Abraham himself. And it's forever and ever. You think about the rich man, he fared sumptuously what? Every day. Lazarus will enjoy the blessings of eternity forever and ever and ever. I'm telling you, Lazarus today would want you to come to heaven. You know, the rich man wanted his brothers to be warned, but I think Lazarus would want you to be told of the joys, and I I know we don't think about this, but the joys of dying in Christ. I know that death is life's greatest evil. I understand that, naturally speaking. But, But I think it will be something when our dying day comes to go from here to there. Says he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I don't know if it happens that way for everybody, but we'll take be transmitted from here to there, and we'll be from these old bodies. And somebody said, "Hold on, preacher, mine's not old. It'll get that way if you stay around long enough." <laughs> and no matter how healthy and 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 uh, active you are in this life right now, it won't be anything like the new body in Amen. in eternity. The joys of dying in Christ and and the blessings of being with all the saints and face to face with the Lord himself. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. All the benefits. He'd like us to know about that so we could come there too. When I think about that, I see great words of encouragement to Christians. You know, uh, you remember the story of the Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba went to see King Solomon. And uh, 
I'm not going to try to tell all the story, but no doubt she went with some kind of a caravan. She's a queen and she's going to see King Solomon. She had heard the fame of Solomon, his wealth and his wisdom and, and all that was there. And it says in the scriptures, the reason she went was to prove to herself that people were exaggerating. She didn't believe it could be as good as what people said. And, I, and the Bible says when she got there and she saw his wealth and the sitting of his servants and other things and his wisdom, the Bible says he told her all her questions. He didn't just answer them. <laughs> she comes in and somehow he knows what her questions are. And then she tells her the answer. And the Bible says that her spirit was faint. And she said, the half has not been told. Amen. The half has not been told. I am, I am convinced in all of my being that even though we know heaven's going to be wonderful, we can't imagine how good it's going to be. Amen. I guarantee you this, there's no exaggeration the Bible tells us about that wonderful place where we'll spend eternity. I think we ought to take heed, just keep on keeping on. Sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes we grow, attend to, we're tempted to grow weary in well-doing. And I'm telling you, we need to keep on keeping on. Over here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, he wrote, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. <laughs> If I can say this right, I don't think it, it's ever going to get as bad here as, as it will be good there. <laughs> Let's keep on keeping on. Let's look forward to that wonderful place. So the rich man is lost and in hell. Lazarus is saved and in heaven. And then I want to take just briefly a look at Abraham here because Abraham had this world's goods. Abraham, if you read about the life of Abraham, he was wealthy and powerful and famous and influential. And if you don't believe that, read Genesis chapter 11 through chapter 25. And you'll read about uh, Abraham. And, and what I, you say, why are you bringing that up? Because I want you to know you don't have to be poor to be a Christian. And Christian, you don't have to be poor to be spiritual. There are godly people who are rich and poor and in between where most of, most of us land. But I want to remind you, Christians right here today, compared to the rest of the world, none of us are in between. For most of the rest of the world, we're rich. We have a missionary out of our church that's a missionary to Zambia in Africa. And when you get there, uh, they call you Mzungu. And uh, I asked the missionary, I said, what does Mzungu mean? And he said, basically it means rich white guy. <laughs> and we are rich compared to them. We are blessed for sure. And so Abraham, a man of God, he died and went to heaven. Bible says he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Just like we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his finished work on Calvary, it's a matter of faith. He's called the friend of God and the father of the faithful. And yet, 
the friend of God, the father of the faithful, he was powerless to help the rich man once he went to hell. There was a great gulf fixed. I want to remind you today that your saved friends and family cannot help you once you get to eternity. There's a man that lives in our town that I, uh, I've known him since school days. He's been a friend. We're not real close these days. We don't spend a lot of time around, but I can go to his house anytime, any, and I want open the door, and he's you know, glad to see us, and I sit down and visit with him and so forth, but he's a lost man. I've tried to witness to him over the years, and what he always comes back with is, well, I can't be that bad a guy. You're my good friend and you're a preacher. And he names another guy he went to high school and he said, you're a, he's a preacher. I got good friends that are men of God is what he says. And I see, Steve, it don't matter how many friends you have that are Christians, you need to be a Christian. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You can't rest on the fact, you can't say, I had friends in the church. Or you can't even say, I was a friend of the church. I found that as a pastor, there were a few businesses around in our community. When we did business with them, they'd give us a discount because we were a church. That was nice of them to do that. But their doing that won't do anything to get them to heaven. That's right. yep. There was even a few people who did things free for our church. And that's a nice thing, but unless they're a Christian, unless they're saved, they're like Naaman the leper. Say all these good things about them, but still lost. We need to be saved. Abraham was a man of God. I'm saying today, if Abraham, Abraham can't help you, you could say, my father was a pillar in the church. My mother taught Sunday school for years or sang in the choir, whatever. You can go over those things. But if Abraham could not help, then none of the rest of us can help either. Once you leave this life without Christ, we can help you now. We would welcome the opportunity to show you how to be saved. We want to point you to Jesus Christ. Even in this service today before we leave here, if you want to know for sure you're going to heaven, you can know that. Those will take the Bible and show you the way of salvation and you can receive Christ as Savior today and become a child of God and on your way to heaven. So we've talked about the rich man and Lazarus and Abraham and the last person is you. You say, well, I don't see me in there. I'm telling you, these verses are talking to you and they're talking about you and me as well. Because you're either like the rich man or you're like Abraham and Lazarus. The rich man is lost. And if you're like him, you're lost and you're bound for hell. You may be enjoying this world's goods, but doing that to the neglect of your eternal soul. And while you're doing that, you're influencing others for hell as well. By the way, you don't have to be rich to live for the things of the world. I talked about our missionary to Zambia, and we've been there a couple times over the years and been among the people and so forth. And, you know, those people, 
if they have, a lot of them don't even have jobs. They're just scratching out however they can. But if they have a job, their income would, uh, in their currency, would equal about $50 a month plus a bag of maize, which is corn. And that's what they get paid for working. And yet they're as worldly as you or me or anybody else can be. They live for the things of this world like sinners do. Or maybe, hopefully, you're like Abraham and Lazarus, saved and bound for heaven, whether rich or poor in between, telling you everybody needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. It's a universal need. Now, I want you to remember as we wrap this up today, this is a true story about real people and a real place called hell. Don't ever forget there is a literal, real heaven to gain. But there's a literal, real hell to shun. Let me give you almost a terrifying thought, a very sad thought. You know, the rich man was there 2,000 years ago. That's where he is right now. And you know, he has never received a drop of water. And he never will. What a horrible thing. Jesus said it this way. In a question, he said, for what shall it profit a man? if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. I know that the lure of this world can be powerful. I know many people allow it to control them, the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those things can get a hold of people. This world has nothing that can offer that's worth your soul to you. You lose your soul in that awful place. This is not a scripture verse, but it's certainly biblical thought. Says Somebody wrote this down years ago. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how much science advances or anything like that. We're in bodies. It's appointed unto man once to die. We can't keep life in these bodies forever. But when we get saved, we gain life that you can't lose. Eternal life with Jesus Christ and all the saints forevermore. I believe that this passage speaks to saved people as well as unsaved people. It speaks to each of us. Christians here today, you say, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad you're saved too, if if you know the Lord. But I want you to remember this. Hell is at the end of every unsaved life. No unsaved people go to heaven. They all go to hell. And our actions and our words can be used to either bring people to Christ or to push them away. We need to be careful how we live our lives and how we influence other people. And I'll go on and say this, and please get this. I believe, and I know it's true, that living... A good Christian life includes 
being a witness for Jesus Christ. Amen. Say, well, duh. I want you to hear this. There are a lot of people in what we would call good churches that are good churches. We call them good Christians, members of good churches that haven't talked to one person about Christ for months and months or even years. You follow what I'm saying? There are a lot of people that we would consider not knowing everything about their life, that they're good Christians, that they haven't passed out a gospel track. If ever, at least not for a long, long time. And I'm telling you today, being a good Christian includes having a burden for and reaching out to the unsaved. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And what he sent us to do, Jesus said of himself, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He sent us to do the same thing. I can't save anybody, but I can introduce them to the one who will save them. If by faith they'll put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved, you're here today and you don't know for sure, if you died today that you're going to heaven, can I tell you that the call to salvation comes from every direction? The call to be saved comes from above, from Lazarus and all that have died in Christ. They would be telling us, it's wonderful in heaven, get yourself ready to come here. It comes from below too. The rich man in hell would say it's a horrible place. Get yourself ready to not come here. It comes from without, from Christians here and Christians other places, people that know the Lord and we're still on this earth. We would say it's great being a Christian. Amen. There's nothing like it. You'll never regret it if you put your faith in Christ. You'll always regret it if you don't. And there is also a call from within. From inside of you, there's a call. Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And I'm telling you today, if you're here and you've not been saved, just picture this in your mind. Jesus on the outside of your heart and there's a door there and he's knocking, asking to come in. There's no doorknob on the outside. You have to open the door yourself. But there is something called the still small voice of the Spirit of God who on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ and concerning your need, he's communicating that to you today. Remember one of my friends after I got saved, I took him to church and and we were like 19, 20 years old and took him to church and you know, we sat there with the singing and the preaching and so forth. When the invitation was given, we were sharing a songbook and his end wouldn't hold still. I mean, we were holding this, I was on one side and the other and we were singing the invitation hymn and his end was going, he was shaking. There was a call from within. He didn't go forward that day, but afterwards, he apologized. We were on the way home. He rode with me to church, and he said, 
I don't know what happened to me in there. And I said, what happened is the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God was convicting your heart. Yes, sir. And you know, he never got saved. But you know, I was home last summer and I made connection with him. We hadn't seen him for 45 years. And I'm preaching in my home church next Sunday and he's told me he's going to be there next Sunday. Amen. I'm praying the still small voice of the Spirit of God gets hold of his heart. But I'm also praying that the still small voice of the Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart. Amen. And what happens is you ha- when that happens, he doesn't say anything you can hear with your ears. But he's letting you know that you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior. You may experience something in this service that you've not accustomed to about an uneasiness about being uncomfortable. And it's not because these people are not friendly and kind. It's because God's Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart's door. Yes, the wisest thing you can do, say yes. You say, preacher, I wouldn't know what to do. If you'll step out and come, somebody will show you yes. how you can become a child of God. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Are you like the rich man on your way to that awful place of torment? Or are you like Lazarus in that wonderful place called heaven? My question to you would be is if you are lost, would you come and be saved? But if you are saved, I'd like to ask you, what are you doing on a consistent basis to try to get others to come? Let's pray, please. Father, we thank you today for your precious word and the privilege of preaching your word and thank you for the what appeared to be attentiveness of people. And now, Lord, I pray that people would be far beyond attentive to me. I pray they'd be attentive to you as you speak to their hearts. I pray for the lost to come and be saved. I pray for Christians that you're speaking to them about needs in their lives, that they'd come and get it settled. I pray this would be a day of victory in the lives of people because they say yes to you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.